You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. What is love? It's a question that's asked by all people in all places at all times. It's something that's the subject of millions, literally, of books. What is love? If you, if you Googled that question, what is love, you would get hundreds of thousands of different answers to that question. And as I was thinking about this, about the question, what is love, I came across something uh, that I thought was pretty funny. Uh, and that is a, a group of four to eight-year-old kids who were asked this question, what is love? And here are some of their answers. The first uh, comes from Carl, who's age five. He says, love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on cologne and they go out and smell each other. <laughs> Noel, who's age seven, says, love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt and then he wears it every day. Erin has some good advice. She says, don't forget your wife's name. That will mess up the love. That's true. Um, Karen, age seven, says, when you love somebody, your eyelashes go up and down and little stars come out of you. And finally, Elaine, age five, says, love is when my daddy gives me the best piece of chicken. So obviously she was a Baptist. <laughs> So all of these are, are funny examples. Maybe you can ask your kids if you've got young kids when you go home. I don't know. You don't know what they might say. But, uh, but, but this question of what is love. And so if we're looking in the culture to find the answer to this question, we'll be very confused. Because literally there are tons and tons of different answers. And there's, there's different ways that people would define what love is. And so what, what the good news is this morning is that we don't have to go to culture, go to different people's experiences to define what love is. We, we have the very source of love, right? God himself, and he has told us what love is. And so we're gonna look to that. And my, my challenge this morning, we're gonna be looking uh, in the book of First John chapter four uh, at a passage that kind of unpacks what love is. But my, my challenge to us this morning is that we let God define love. Right, that he's the one who created us. He's the one who created love. And so we may all have different ideas and understandings of what love is, but let me encourage us to look to him and accept his definition as he is ultimately the creator of love. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to read from verse 7 all the way down to verse 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect fear casts out, perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. 
We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, your words to us this morning. God, we, we come before you today. God, we, we want to see your definition of love. And Father, we want to see that love uh, expressed in our lives. And so we know that the only way that can happen is through your spirit working in us. And so we pray, God, I pray that through this time this morning, that through your word and through your spirit, you would work in our hearts and make us into people who love well. And uh, so, Father, we ask that in all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, there's a couple things from this passage uh, that I want us to see. And the first thing is that true love, the love that God calls us to, is supernatural. True love is supernatural. Now, now one of the points that's clear throughout this passage, as well as really the rest of the New Testament, is that Christians are to be marked by love. The distinguishing mark of a Christian is to be that we are loving. Right, And now you may hear that and think, okay, I know that. Like I've heard that the last two weeks. Um, but here's the, here's the deal. When you start looking in the New Testament, right, and you start reading, this is the focus. It's over and over and over and over throughout the New Testament that we are to be a people who love. Right, And it's so important. In fact, this is to be our reputation as Christians. Our reputation, what we're known for is to be that we are loving. Now when I think of reputation, I think about high school. Right, Because when you're in high school, your reputation is a big deal. And people work really hard to have the right reputation. So you have people who have a reputation of being a nerd. right? Or you have people who have a reputation of being a partier. Right? Or, or maybe you have people who have a reputation of being a ladies man. Like Pastor James kind of had that reputation. Right? So your reputation is a big deal. <clears throat> and, and I think the question is, is our reputation right now as Christians, those who love, when people think about us, do they think that we are people who love? <clears throat> well, I want to evaluate that in my own life, right? Am I? Am I a person, am I known as a person who loves? When I think about the relationships, the, the encounters that I've had even this past week, Right? When I think about the last month of, of have I served people or have I shown my love by my actions, right? I have to ask myself that question, am I a person who loves? Now, why, why is this such a big deal? Right? Why is it so important that we keep talking about it? The, the reason is, I think you see in this passage in verse 8, the reason is, is because as Christians, as people of God, we serve a God, verse 8 says, who is love. Now, this verse doesn't say that God is loving or that God loves this passage actually says that God is love. The very core of his existence and who he is, is love. And theologians will, will talk about the fact that the reason that this is, is because ultimately God is a trinity, right? And you've heard this. God is, is three persons in one, right? And, and the, the point is that for all of eternity, as long as, as he has existed, which is eternity, God has been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who are constantly giving and receiving love from one another. That, that's the makeup of God. And so this is the God who designed the universe. This is the God who created us in his image, and he is a God who is love. And so the expectation, if that's God, right, if, if God is love, and that's what describes him, that's what makes up who he is, and we would say, that we are his people, right? We would say that he is in us, then the expectation is that we would be loving people, 
that if God is love, that, that his nature, his love would be evident through our lives. Now, something I want to, to help us with is to realize that, that this is not the natural kind of love that we often think about, right? It's not the worldly love. It's not just loving feelings, right? Or love that's based just on our emotions or, or our circumstances, right? This is, this is a kind of love that, that's not naturally uh, something that we can produce. It's something that only the Spirit of God working in us is able to produce. It's something we are dependent upon God in order to, to experience this kind of love, right? It's, it's deeper than, than being people who are polite, right? Or maybe, maybe it's, it's deeper than the cultural southern niceness, right? Or, or deeper than occasionally going and doing acts of service for people. This is a love that's so deep that it requires us to have a radical transformation of our heart in order to experience it. It's something we can't do on our own. And we know this, right? We know this from our own experiences. We know that this love doesn't come naturally. And you know how I know it? Through roommates. <laughs> Anybody ever had a roommate, right, college? Okay, so how's that go, right? You start out and it's fun, you're hanging out, right? Everything's great. And then over time, what happens? You start to disagree. You have different priorities, different schedules, right? You start to get on one another's nerves. I actually have friends from high school who went to University of Kentucky for college, and they were in a small dorm room there, and by the end of the semester, they had so much trouble getting along that they literally took a roll of duct tape and started on the floor and went all the way down the floor, all the way up the walls, all the way across the ceiling and around, and divided their dorm room into two halves, right? And said, we're each gonna stay on our side. Right? That's, that's a picture of what comes naturally. So when we see something different, when we see someone who, who loves sacrificially, right, it is evidence that the Spirit of God and the grace of God is at work in their lives because only He can produce that kind of love in us. Now, John goes on to make the same point, but he makes it in the opposite way. He says, he says that those who do not love do not know God. Right, so, so if God is love, and if he's in us, then it's impossible for us to not love other people. Right, it's impossible. It would be like somebody who, who came up and told you, hey man, I'm, I'm sorry I'm running late. Like you've been waiting for them, they showed up late. They said, I'm sorry I'm running late. I was, I was walking up here and a semi-truck actually ran off the road and just ran me over, right? Like all the tires, all the wheels, so... So it took me a while to kind of get myself back up and, you know, kind of brush myself off, walk over here. So I'm sorry I'm late. And you're looking at them and they don't have a scratch on them, right? That's, you know, that's impossible, right? They're lying. Why? Because for something that significant to happen to someone, you're going to see the evidence. And, and that's the point of, of what John is saying is that if you claim to be a Christian, if you claim that the Spirit of God has come into your life, that by His grace He has saved you and done His work in you, you will see the evidence, right? It will lead to a life of love. It's the expectation of a Christian. Now, some people um, will claim that they, they know God, right? Or that the, the evidence of their love uh, for God is based on some type of experience that they've had or things that they've done. And so they'll say because of this experience or, or these things. But when you look at their life, they're completely unloving, 
right? And so this leads us, it leads me to ask a question. How do I define spiritual maturity, right? How do I define being a true Christian? And, and if I ask that question, a lot of us would say things that we do. So, so maybe you would say, I know a person is a mature Christian because of how long they've been in church, right? And so we see someone who's been in church for a long time, or maybe somebody who, who really knows the Bible well, Right, you would say, well, they've been through all these Bible studies. They know the Bible well. Right, that means they're a mature Christian. Or maybe you would say, because of, of leadership positions that someone has had in church. So, so they've served in this role or that role for this many years, and so clearly that means they're a mature Christian. And I would say biblically that none of those are assurances that a person is spiritually mature. Right. In fact, all of those can be faked. And in fact, I have, I have two stories from my own life um, that show this. One is there was a guy who uh, went to college with me, and he was, uh, he was a Christian studies major. And, and he was a guy who, I mean, he, he stood out above all the other students. He was so smart. He knew the Bible so well. He had read all these theology books, right? And, and he would have conversations with our professors in classes that none of the rest of us could even understand, right? His knowledge was incredible, and I remember one day when he walked in and, and he, he had a Bible and he said, this book has become nothing more than a textbook to me. He ended up leaving and dropping out of school altogether. Right? He was so impressive. It wasn't real. Then there's another person who is a guy who was at the church that I was at in Illinois. And this was a guy who everybody would have looked at as, as a very... Um, a, a very impressive Christian, right, as, as a model Christian. And, and he had grown up in the church. He had prayed a prayer at VBS when he was a kid, and, and he had served in all kinds of leadership roles in the church. And I remember one day our pastor was preaching a message on the gospel, and he called for people to respond, to come forward and, and to trust Christ. And this guy walked down the aisle, came forward and trust Christ for the first time. But he had done all of those things. Everybody was convinced that he was this mature Christian and he was lost the whole time, right? And so what I wanna say from that is, is that those things that we often think of, the public things, are often not really the evidence of our faith. But biblically, according to this passage, John says, the evidence of your faith is not the things that you do publicly, right? But it's ultimately the private life that you have, the way that you relate to other people, Right? You want to know the real quality of, of your relationship with God? Look at your relationships with the people who are closest to, right? with your family, with the people you work with, people in church, right? your neighbors. Think about those relationships, and, and that is really the evidence of the quality of your relationship with God. And so, and so this is the first thing we see, that, that God is love. And if he is in us, then we will be loving. Right? We will display that love to others. Uh, but the second point, not only is true love supernatural, but the second thing we see here is that true love is sacrificial. True love is sacrificial. Uh, in these verses, John talks about God's love for us. And he says, the way that God shows us is love is not something that's distant or abstract, right? It's not some distant thing. God loves us, right? But God demonstrates his love by his actions, by what he does. We've talked about this. This is kind of the point of this whole Love Does sermon series, that God demonstrates his love by what he does. And really, it's the way that all true love is demonstrated. All true love is demonstrated by our actions, by the things that we actually 
do. And uh, when, I'm, when I'm thinking about this, I think of somewhat of an infamous story in my family um, with my great-grandfather and my great-grandmother. And uh, one day, my great-grandmother uh, came in, and she was very frustrated with my great-grandfather, and she was telling him, you're just not affectionate, right? You don't show me that you love me. You don't, even, you don't tell me that you love me. And his response, I'm not lying, this is what he actually said was, woman, which is always a good start, I told you I loved you when I married you, and if anything changes, I'll let you know. So that wasn't on any Hallmark cards, I don't think, that uh, I saw last Valentine's Day. Right? That's not what God's love is like. Right? God's love, it does, we don't have to guess. Right? It doesn't keep us wondering. God's love is shown by his actions. And ultimately, if you want to know if God loves you, the call of the Bible is look at the cross. Right? Look at what God has done for you in Jesus. And that's what, that's what John is going to say. That's the way that God shows you his love is by his sacrifice for you on the cross. Um, and so he says in verse 9, God showed us his love by sending his son to die so that we might live. He says in verse 10, he showed us his love by sending his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so the word propitiation is probably not one that you've used a lot this week. That would be my guess, right? But, but it's a very important term in Scripture. What it means, propitiation means to satisfy the wrath of God, right? And, and here's, here's the big picture of what that means. All of us, according to the Bible, are sinners, right? All of us have, have turned away from God and have gone our own way. As a result of that, God's wrath is upon us, right? And one day... We will face the judgment of God, which means eternity in hell. And so his wrath is upon us because we have rejected him and turned away from him. And there's a debt that has to be paid, which is our death, right? That's a debt that has to be paid. God can't just ignore it because he's just and holy, right? But he loves us so much that he comes and he takes that debt upon himself. He pays the penalty. And this is what happens on the cross, right? Jesus on the cross Right, in, in, in our place, takes God's wrath for our sins and it's poured upon him. So that if we trust in him, then, then the wrath of God and the judgment that we would face is, is taken away from us. And in its place, we're given God's love and acceptance. Right, this is propitiation, that the, the wrath of God is satisfied by Jesus so that we don't have to face it if we trust in him, that we'll receive the love and acceptance. This is the incredible sacrifice of the gospel. And I will promise you, there is no greater sacrifice in all of history. When you think about the cross, when you think about Jesus being rejected and beaten and nailed to a cross for our sins, there is no greater sacrifice that the creator would make that kind of sacrifice for the creation who has rejected him. Right, it's the greatest demonstration of love and sacrifice in all of history. And so the point is, that is the way that God demonstrates his love through that incredible act of sacrifice. So therefore, right, he calls us to demonstrate our love through our own sacrifice. We see this in verse 11, beloved. If God so loved us, we also ought to love others in this way. So here's, here's the point is, that, that basically what he's saying is God, if God loved us in this way, right, by his sacrifice, then we are called to love others in the same way, 
by our sacrifice. 1 John 3.16, he says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Here's, here's the point. <clears throat> we're called to define our love, the love we're called to have by the cross. Right? That's, that's, the, that's how we shape and define our love. And, and often, if we're really honest, we don't like that. Right? We really don't like that. We, we would rather define love our way. We would rather a kind of love that, that doesn't really require us uh, to, to change our schedules, right? That kind of fits within our schedules. We would, we would prefer a kind of love um, that doesn't require us to cross uh, difficult, uncomfortable cultural barriers, right? We would really require a kind of love that doesn't actually cost us money. If we're, if we're honest, we would prefer a kind of love that doesn't require us to sacrifice. But when we look at Scripture we see that a love that does not sacrifice is not love at all, right? We define our love by the cross and it's sacrificial for us. <clears throat> and I think one of the things that, that is the most shocking about looking at Jesus' sacrifice and what he did on the cross is who he died for. You see, Jesus didn't die for his friends, Jesus didn't die for people who deserved it or who would love him back. He died for his enemies, right? He died for the very people who had rejected him. He died for people like us who fail him over and over, right? He, he died for people who did not deserve his love. And the point is he calls us to show our love to people who don't deserve our love. You see, if we're, if we're honest, we would rather surround ourselves with people who we're comfortable being around, who are easy to love, right? People who we think deserve our love, people who will return our love. We don't wanna have to sacrifice. We don't have to be around people who are difficult to love because it's draining. And I think one of the, the greatest uh, quotes of this is, is from a pastor named Tim Keller. who's a pastor in New York City. And it's kind, of a, it's kind of a long quote, but I'm asking you guys to hang with me on this because he says it much better than I can. He says this, all life-changing love is substitutionary sacrifice. Think about it. If you love a person whose life is all put together and has no major needs, it costs you nothing. It's delightful. But if you ever try to love somebody who has needs, who is in trouble, who is emotionally wounded, it's going to cost you. You can't love them without taking a hit yourself. A transfer of some kind is required so that somehow their troubles, their problems transfer to you. There are a lot of wounded people out there who are emotionally sinking. They're hurting and they need to be loved. And when they are with you, you want to look at your watch and make a graceful exit because listening to them with all their problems can be grueling. It can be exhausting to be their friend. But the only way they're going to start filling up emotionally is if somebody loves them. And the only way to love them is to let yourself be emotionally drained. Some of your fullness is going to have to go into them. And you have to empty out to some degree. If you hold on to our, our emotional comfort and simply avoid those people, they will sink. The only way to love them is through substitutionary sacrifice, right? That's, that's not what we want to hear. <laughs> that's not something that's exciting. Oh, I want to be friends with those kind of people, right? I want to have to go through that kind of love. But it's, it's the demonstration of the gospel, right? It's the demonstration of God's love. It's evidence of his work in our lives when we love sacrificially. And we know this. 
We know that all true love requires sacrifice when we think about our kids, right? I'm, I'm right now in this phase where we've got a young baby, two weeks old, and a three-year-old, right? Raising kids requires incredible sacrifice, right? They're so needy. They're so dependent. You have to feed them and bathe them and clothe them. Right, it, it, It's exhausting, and there's so much you have to give up. There's so much you have to sacrifice. You have to sacrifice so much time and energy and sleep and sleep. I say sleep, I forgot. And money, right, even in just diapers alone. It's, it's incredible. But, but we do it because we love them. We sacrifice because we know if we don't, right, if we don't sacrifice for our, their, our kids, they will spend the rest of their life sacrificing, because they'll never really grow up. They'll never really be raised. We understand this. We love our kids sacrificially. And what this passage is saying is that that is our call in all our relationships. Right? We're to love biblically in a way that is sacrificially to those around us. And so um, I think as we, as, we, as we look at this, right, this is, this is a challenge. Right? This is not an easy call to say that we're, we're called to love this way. Um, but I think there's something important in, in verse 11. There's a word there that's, that's the word ought, right? And it says in verse 11, we ought to love one another. And, and the point here, what he's, what he's saying is that it is the expectation that if God is in us, right? If, if he has given us his nature, it's the expectation that we will love one another this way. Right, it's like saying that, that birds ought to fly or, or like saying that fish ought to swim. Right? It, it's their nature, it's the way they were created, it's the way they live and operate. And what he's saying is that if, if we are new creations in Christ, if God's spirit is in us, then it's, it's our nature to love. Right? It's, it's a reflection of the God who is in us. And we know this because of the way we treat animals and things based on their nature. Right? We know the way that things operate. So, so many of us, if you have a cat, you probably don't keep your cat in the aquarium. Right? Now, maybe some of you hate cats, and so you do that, and that's weird. But that's not the normal thing. We, we, you don't look out your window and see your neighbor walking down the sidewalk, walking his goldfish on a leash. Right? That's just weird. Why? Because we know that... that Things are created with a certain nature. They, they exist in a certain way, and so we treat them a certain way. And that's the point of what he's saying. He's saying our nature, as, as God's spirit is in us, is to love, right? Is to do this. This is the expectation. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be comfortable. We shouldn't settle for saying, well, I'm just not a loving person, or that's not my personality, or, well, they're just difficult to be around, right? We shouldn't settle for that. That shouldn't be okay. We need to, to look in this and realize the expectation of our life is to be loving, and, and this, is, this is not um, something that, <clears throat> that is new, right? From, so from the time the scripture went forward, the, the early church recognized that this was to be the way that they were known, and it was, right? This was the reputation of the early church. There's a couple quotes I wanna read to you that, that come from the early church from, from within 100 to 200 years right after Jesus lived and died. Uh, one is from a guy named Lucian. He said of the early church, it's incredible to see the fervor with which the people of that religion help each other in their wants. They spare nothing. Their first legislator, Jesus, has put into their heads that they are all brothers. Uh, a guy named Cecilius, 8210, 
said that they love one another almost before they know one another, speaking of the early church. And then Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, said this. He said, it is our care for the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Look, they say, how they love one another. Look how they are prepared to die for one another. I wonder if the people outside of the church today would say anything like that. Is that the way we're known as Christians? And my prayer is that, that this church, that would be the case, right? That we would be known as, as people who love, that we, we sacrifice, right? We, you know, we looked at CARM, that we go and serve in, in that kind of ministry, helping homeless people, that we, we show love to our families. The way we operate together is different, that, that the, the people who we're around, right, they see the difference in our lives. That's my prayer, that they would recognize that, that we would be known as people who love. So, so what do we do with this, right? Like practically, how do we, how do we apply this? Well, there's a couple things. First is, uh, I want to encourage us to do the heart work on this, right? To, to not just settle for being unloving or, or not having patience with people or just not liking people, right? But to recognize those areas where, where we're not loving, those relationships where we're struggling in this area, and to repent, right? Go to that person and repent and do the heart work, right? To, to, to show them that love, right? Don't just settle for, for not being a loving person. The second thing is, is an encouragement. And, and this is an encouragement to me this morning is, is a reminder that this is not impossible, right? Because living within us is the spirit of God who is love, right? And so if he is in us, he can empower us and enable us to love in any situation, in any circumstance. And so we're never hopeless. Uh, and the final thing is just, is just to look to Jesus, right? Ultimately, just to focus on him, to think about the sacrifice, to think about the punishment that he went through, and to think about the fact that that was motivated by his love for you, that he took your sins personally upon himself on the cross, that he offers you forgiveness through what he did, right? Let that sink in and overflow so that that love overflows and spills over to those who are around you. And so that's what I actually want to do this morning in our time of, of closing is, is I want us to do just that, to focus our hearts and our minds on what Jesus has done. And so we're going to sing a song. Uh, the band's going to come out here and lead us. And, and here's a few of the words of, of the song that we're about to sing. It says, I remind myself of all that you've done and the life I have because of your son. Love came down and rescued me. Love came down and set me free. And I am yours. I am yours forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace to us. Father, thank you that you did come down. Father, that though we could never deserve it, that we'd sinned against you, we continually reject you and fail you. That, Father, you loved us. And so you came down to take our sin upon yourself. Father, thank you that you offer us forgiveness and, and new life. So, Father, and I pray that that would impact our hearts and, and settle into us and make us into people who aren't okay with being unloving. With people who, who aren't okay with having relationships that are broken. But, Father, I pray that your spirit would do your work in our hearts and in our relationships and in our church so that we would be known as people who are marked by your love. And Father, we ask all this for your glory. It's in the name of our King Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.